Rolling. Welcome to Best Boys Film Podcast, an amateur film study podcast for the average Joe, the buffest buffs, and the cringest bingers. I'm your host, JP, and I'm joined by my brother, professional Hollywood videographer, Corey with a story. Welcome back. Riveting, exciting, theatrical things happening over in the, the Pit Bros. Pit Bros. Studios. Out here in the pit. <laughs> That's what we should call it. (laughs) Welcome to the pit. (laughs) Here to talk about movies and shit. Talk about (laughs) movies and shit in the pit. Oh, man. All right. But, uh, yeah. I'll have to make a new theme song, and it'll be like metal. (laughs) Metal theme songs. Get the kid rock. Get in the pit and try to love someone. Get in the pit and try to love someone. (laughs) Just have that on the soundboard just going. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, great album, great album. <laughs> yeah, piece of shit. Though. Oh yeah, I mean he's piece of shit though. He just looks like Doctor Phil now with a cowboy hat, and it's, I can't stop laughing. Like at a little, yeah, and like a skull. Oh, I guess he's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a skull. I think he has a. He's much more hair than me, so. <laughs> I've never heard that before. That's you so never funny. heard the term. You've never heard the term skullet. No, that was the first time. Yeah, that's a bald man, but he's but that the like the George Costanza area yeah. is just long. Like Larry David, yeah. Larry David, but longer. Yeah. Oh man, that's so awesome. Well, have you ever seen like the where they have the? The ring around, but then they just have a ponytail or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it's kind of like if they, it's kind of like that, but if they let their, you know, let their nuts hang, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh man! Well, welcome back everybody to the uh, the Skullet Podcast. Well, Skullets, yeah. We're gonna this is, we're gonna talk about the history of the Skullet. Um, yeah. And uh, what a way to to start off the discussion about Citizen Kane. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> uh, this, I'm really, really excited to talk about this. Um, I was, you know, going into this not knowing how I'd feel. I, uh, old movies is notoriously our blindest spot, um, and uh, and uh, I, and then I usually when I try good old movies, I like them. It's just like diving in um, and getting used to the water, you know. And uh, it's not the black and white that bothers me because I usually every time there's a black and white movie that's later, I usually nut for some reason, <laughs> um, uh, like the lighthouse or something. Mm. Um, so that doesn't bother me. So I, I just I think it's just you know the uh, just not as exposed to the pre seventies movies as much as uh, as other things growing up. Um, mm-hmm. our dad likes Westerns. Um, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm sure there's movies from the sixties and, and earlier that we've watched, but besides that, and a handful of movies for school, I've seen Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Um, and I've seen some John Wayne movies, but, uh, that's really about, 
about it. And um, uh, I, I feel like it's been something I've wanted to shore up for a while. And uh, might as well start at the top. Uh, at least for yeah. Americans. At least for American films. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and and let's begin. Um, is there how? So you've seen this before. You saw it yes. in school. Yeah, and uh, I, I back then, along with my my hot eraser head take, I notoriously just hated this movie in college because I just thought it was boring and long. And uh, I will say, watching it now as an adult, I I I I've, I appreciate it a lot more. And I don't think it's a boring uh, movie. I think it's just a college age Corey who just wanted to be Michael Bay at the time, just. Where's all the explosions? This is this. I'm just gonna. I mean, I I'm just gonna say this once, and I don't want to compare too. I don't want to compare at all, really. Um, but this movie has way more energy uh, and and shit going on in it than I think Mank did. And mm. uh, I like both of these films, but one, but this is. Uh, I've never seen an old film with so much energy, to be honest. Um, the, the first third of it is just uh, a breakneck pace with this mm-hmm. like the this kind of montage of his life through me through the news. Um, it's like you know, we get in each phase of the film we're kind of getting a different perspective of this man Charles Foster Kane, um, and uh, I think it's fascinating. It, so many techniques, so many things. Um, that I've seen in in other films, uh, it's just like constant. Like it's like every trick in the book they they put into this film is what I feel like. Um, and I'm no expert in production or anything like that. You definitely are more uh, are are subject matter expert in that area. But boy, uh, I'm just blown away in the first like the opening the opening shots with like the fence. And, mm-hmm. and like the we're getting these weird like it's coming up on Xanadu, uh, which is his like a, his palace that he's built over his life that's unfinished, um, and uh, it's a, like you don't know what it is because if you don't you don't know what the movie's about beforehand it, you know it could be anything we don't even know where we are it looks exotic it looks like we're mm-hmm. far away the the fences looks makes it look like bleak. There's like a bleak emptiness to it. It's kind of spooky. There's like monkeys and cages, and uh, uh, it's just it's it's an interesting opening. And then that's what, after that is when we go into the the news thing with the narrator, and it's just like bang, 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 and it's like constant like dissolves and overlays and and you know text on the screen, and you're just getting barra- barraged with 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 stuff, information, but also like stimuli. And and uh, in a way that um, that I think uh, not even all modern modern films don't really do this, you know, but some certain ones do. It kind of reminded me, I just because we watched it recently, but the French Dispatch, um, with mm-hmm. the way the transitions and the the there's the use of miniatures and matte paintings and these big open wide shots where people are moving around and. Um, like just the craft of that style. Well, obviously, Wes Anderson incorporates a lot of of older practical techniques with modern ones, um, and I feel like that's kind of what 
this is for 1941. Um, it's just like brand new stuff and old stuff and incorporating things from his background in theater and radio, uh, radio shows. It's like so many mediums coming together. Like the sound design, I guess, was heavily influenced by radio uh, plays and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It, it's it's really uh, it's a force, and oh, I, I wanted to say this right off of the bat, and I'm gonna give it right back to you. But let's. This is our takes of this movie. There's really nothing that we could add to the conversation of Citizen Kane that has not been said in the last you know 80 years. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, we are just we're just here, and we are regular guys given our you know experience with the film. And I did. Want, I wanted to preface preface the discussion, um, you know, because I might we might say something, you know, on whatever that is not not you know the standard, but um, or just because I don't understand how things are made in terms of technical things. But uh, boy, I can feel it. It the hype. It, this lived up to the hype for me. I was prepared to, like I said, I was skeptical, but lived up to the hype. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you said you've seen this before, so you, and you didn't, you you know, did, you were lukewarm on it before. How did you feel about Citizen Motherfucking Kane in 2021? I, uh, a great more appreciation. There's so much shit that I just missed the first time because you're watching it in a classroom uh, and, you know, pausing the movie to talk about things all the time where your teacher is kind of like a weird way to try to digest a film but also back when i was in college i was just kind of like one of those like i don't want to be in the classroom i just want to shoot and just yeah i wasn't the best student um but now watching this having a lot more of appreciation for cinema and just working in it the last decade uh i there's so much more layers to this than i noticed before uh, the original take and like you said with the breakneck speed it's it's i would say until they talk to old man uh jedediah that it is pretty just fucking non-stop off not off the rails but just like um breakneck like you were saying uh until that point and it's just so uh holds your attention the first hour of the movie flies um and uh the performances of everything it's like you feel at first because uh or you know it's just starring orson welles but he's on he doesn't appear much in it until uh, outside of the news things of him as an old man until you start getting into the flashback sequences with the when the newspaper guys go to interview everybody and um but there's so much going on you just kind of like for me at least i forgot that it's like when is he going to come in and just kind of there's just so much stimulation um but then it comes down to the like the, the performances of everything and it is just so good and it, it feels like a modern movie just shot with very old cameras in the way that it uh all the scenes are kind of arranged and stuff it's like a, i feel like this is one of the first like true b-roll shots in a movie where you're just setting up um the setting and everything like everything I, you can definitely feel how um the influences from doing the radio and theater come into this because every new scene or set the camera like starts on the on like just kind of like the name or just a statue or just something to set where you are to know crazy to transitions the world. too there's like yeah. really interesting transitions there's one in particular in the third act that was like a jump scare to me um <laughs> this uh, just top to bottom, like the the costuming and the makeup and mm. the uh, like, uh, the performances and the writing and the the camera work, the cinematography, um, it's just everything is pretty perfect. Um, 
you know, it's, it's like I and like I said, I could. That doesn't mean that everyone is going to walk away from this film liking it based on what the story is or based on, you know, their exposures to, you know, the evolution of pop culture since this movie's come out. Even when it came out, it was not a you know box office success it was it bombed but mm. for factors that we will talk about later i think we should talk about the production more um or not the production but like how it did and the reception and the evolution of its perception i think would be good discussion to have between mank and this because they're mm. kind of there's connective tissue there but uh but yeah uh orson welles is 25 when he were making they were making this and then he's 26 when it came out um, I might be a year off, but it's just the, his performance is amazing. Obviously he's got an incredible voice, but he like, he, we only see him young. We only see him in his twenties for maybe two scenes and, uh, they're long. Like one of them is long, but he's mostly in middle-aged form for the film and he looks and feels <laughs> and it's sold when he, in the end, when he's kind of like limping around an old man, it, uh the the the, walk, the zombie walk a little bit uh <laughs> isn't quite as good but the middle but man as a middle-aged man it was mm-hmm. so incredibly convincing the makeup on his neck and his eyes obviously the the black the the, the color the lack of color you you know you can get away with more like we've talked about that with uh night mm-hmm. of the living dead um in terms of makeup effects and special effects but uh, I just was blown away, blown away by you know the performance and and other the other performances as well. But I you know I'm, I can't help but be transfixed on uh, on Kane. Um, Jedediah was good too, as well as uh, um, Susan, the character Susan, the the opera singer <laughs> towards the mm-hmm. end is a really great performance. Um, but uh, the 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 shot, and now I have the up on the screen. Um, one of my favorite shots from the film, which is the campaign speech, where he's in front of uh, the giant poster. The himself. giant poster, and like, do we see it from the back of the room? And and he's talking, and just like, man, is that incredible? Mm. Um, the the production design and scale of so much of this movie is it just seems so much bigger than when it was made. And then when you and I were talking about it, I think either on the, at the end of the last podcast or in between about we were guessing when this was made, trying to remember. And we both said, I think, like 50s or 60s. Um, and just having that, like, the grand scale of everything in this movie just really adds to the immersion of the setting. And uh, you just you're in, I feel like it, it's a, it, it was a great way of just sucking in an audience, not even to something fan, like phantasmal, but just something more um, just i guess like tycoon people what's really going on behind the scenes they're just telling a story of a kid who just wanted to ride his sled and hang out with his family um Um, i think a lot of um and the it's really is a a team of incredible people here too it goes beyond orson wells his name you know is slapped at the top starring uh writing directing uh producing um Mm. but um, and it t- Mank is Mank touches on this, but even beyond Mank him Mankowitz, um, the, the Greg Tolan, the cameraman, the cinematographer, is considered one of the best of his era and highly influential on 
French stuff and uh, in the fifties and sixties and um, considered one of the best of his era. And, and uh, like this, there's a lot of parts involved here. And, and obviously I think one, and this is something I thought about my own experience. And I don't want to like, this is nothing in, in to compare to anything, but just in terms of, of directing a creative project, um, in terms of, I have experience, you know, making an album and, and whatnot. And um, anyone who has experience with making an album, uh, either in, it doesn't matter the genre, because if it's rock, you have a band. If it's, you know, hip hop or, or whatever, you're kind of curating your features and the, the instrumentals, instrumentalists you're working with and the engineers. And, you know, more, it's so much more than what you can physically control yourself. And you have to be good about curating uh, incredible talents and putting them in places to succeed and giving them exactly what they need to succeed um, and trusting them with, you know, because you know their abilities and you trust them. They're like, that's just mm -hmm. the, you know, attributes of a great uh, director in any sense, even as an, a manager and at a job or something, um, mm -hmm. is just knowing the abilities of your team and allowing them to, to succeed. And knowing when to push, but also knowing when to be hands off and let them do their thing in their element um, mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, I really think that this is a testament to that as well. Um, even though it's, uh, you know, at face value, it's Orson Welles, Orson Welles, Orson Welles. But as we've learned with the with Mank and with um, and as you look into the production of the film and what the uh, and the other parts involved, it really is uh, um, a sum of it, a sum of its parts. A sum greater than the combination of its parts, even. Yeah, sure. But uh, but yeah, I get what you're saying on that. The um, uh, I have a lot of notes about the cinematography in this. They, they they play a lot into you know back in the old movies. There's not a lot of um, super shallow depth of field like you have now. That's like what yeah, everything is. Yeah, yeah. And in this, they don't have that. They have very deep depth of field, but they play on that intentionally. And the one scene that really uh, like stole it for me was whenever uh, Kane was finishing the um, the dramatic critique or whatever of the uh, of Susan's opera, and uh, you have uh jed has just woken up from his uh hangover or whatever and is walking towards the camera but you have left a frame orson taking up the whole frame and both are in perfect focus um while you have all this dramatic lighting and like noir feeling lighting on it it just it was very like powerful looking and there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie that is just playing to the scenery even with the like the cross dissolves with old man jed um they have things with him overlaying on top of like the opera on top of over other scenes and it just kind of works and it's like both things are in focus and both things are meant to be seen but it doesn't feel overwhelming and it just feels like like kind of like how wes anderson is just kind of feels uh, um like balanced because not symmetrical but balanced. no but, no yeah yeah it's definitely not symmetrical as much as it's um it makes use of the entire frame Yes. Uh, this is like every you know how like they say a credible a great film cinematography wise every shot is a painting. This is a correct an example of that. Um, mm -hmm. Every shot is is great. You know the, the use of Dutch angles. Um, there's a ton of that. Um, mm -hmm. And like for effect and like to give like uh, this larger than life feel. Um, yeah, the, the deep focus thing you're talking about, I, I read a lot about that, and I did not fully understand it, but you've helped explain it a bit. 
Um, the one scene that stood out to me and when I was after the, obviously I was blown away by the whole intro, but once when I, when I, once we settled into like regular movie, um, the, the, the thing that blew me away was when it was in, uh, when he was a kid and they're at his mm. parents' house. Uh, he was like from, I don't know, somewhere in the middle in Colorado, in Colorado. That's it. The Midwest. And his parents were giving him to some rich man to be raised. And, uh, they're they're talking to having a, the parents are having a conversation inside with the the rich man I forget his name and you He's can Mr. you can see young um, you can see young uh, Charles Kane outside playing and the snow's coming down and you can just watch you could just sit there and get lost and just watching the kid play and not mm. listen to the scene and it's like two it's like picture in picture. That's yeah. what I kept thinking. I was like, "Wow, this is great!" And I've seen people do this many times, and um, and I and I think I said this earlier, but uh, I think a thing to remember also is this movie invented things, but also it's very much a, a compiling of techniques from mm. other directors, foreign directors, um, you know, uh, like we said, theater and radio and et cetera. Like, uh, I think that's what makes it special. Is uh, it's a, a collage of, of, of techniques and compacted so much and together and so dense uh, that, that it makes it uh, just incredibly uh, enthralling to watch, uh, especially mm. for a being from 1941. Especially in an era when there's like, there's so much of the films of there are just kind of adapting like the way that a theater is displayed and, and the way it's shot that is. And this is feels very three dimensional in the way it's shot, um, with the moving parts it has. Especially the what sold it for me on that was when um, the uh, a lot of the use of dolly pullback shots, so you really felt like you were within the set rather than just being like in just standard shots around the set. Oh yeah, or, there's some pan. I mean? There's like some pans. There was the one shot. I think I don't know where it was, but it was like. It was on a statue, and then you could hear a woman talking to like yes, a receptionist a, talking. Yeah, and then it pulls down and out, and I was like, "Oh shit!" It yeah. wasn't the smoothest pull, but no. it, <laughs> I noticed that um, that it, like there was a little clunk, at, and they kind of edited it at the end. Um, when they in the other pulls, I noticed it starts to fade mm. when it gets a little clunky. Um, but that one in particular, like man, that looks so cool. That yeah, that's so the cool. first one that made me write it down. That's the look at the memoir, like writing diary writing the Thatcher guy uh, who adopted him. Um, yeah, that's right. They're looking at his manuscript. That's it. Uh, but yeah, that was the first one I saw and wrote down. And it was just like, that was, uh, I was like, oh, that seems a little modern for this movie. That seems a, a little out of place for something shot around the time. But even in the, the scenes where right after the newspaper montage, when they have all the guys, uh, the writers in the room looking at the projector, projection they're talking about what to do next um like even that just it just feels so the way the camera pops around the room it feels like you're in the room rather than you feel like you're shooting into a set uh, uh yeah very common at the time it would yeah, there's a lot of like, more claustrophobic sets i mean there's a lot mm -hmm. of open big sets too but like the particular one in the writer's room it's like small and it's dark mm -hmm. and cramped and there's sm everybody's smoking um and uh Remind me of the blade runner shot um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. I was like, this is a this has been used many, many, many times, and it's supposed to be indicative of you know writers in the 40s, um, mm. you know, and 
Um, but uh, the lighting there, like so, this there the the light was shining through the two windows, and then because of all the smoke, it was like the beams are really really noticeable. And this mm-hmm. guy was walking around the room talking, and the light is like changing as he's moving around the room, and it looks cool the entire mm-hmm. time. And it's like a spotlight on his head at one point, like it's like he it's like a natural spotlight, and they use it like a spotlight. And uh, it's just like man, the attention to to the detail and the effects. Um, there was a there's a shot later in the movie where um, they have gas coming. They have a gas flame, and the gas mm-hmm. is because back in the day, you know, they had gas lamps instead of electricity in some places, and uh, the ga- the fire was coming out of like of each of the pipe things, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's talking, and he's talking, and he's like, and then he turns it off. And the the whole scene gets darker, and he sits down, but the lighting is still on the bot like the bottom half of the the shot, and just paint like comes down, and it was like, wow, that was super cool. With the, like, it's just uh, this shot was really just to do the, this lighting effect, um, <laughs> but it was worth it. Like, it felt like a demonstration a little mm. bit. But he was like saying, you know, well, uh, he he's saying some kind of metaphor about. Yeah, you know, the light of this gas, and then turns it off, and mm-hmm. or something. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I know the scene you're talking about. Um, I want to say it's when him and Jed are in the when they first bought the newspaper, and they're talking to uh, the the editor of the newspaper. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, like after they get rid of the old the old editor. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, that's it was super cool. The um, there's so many like just gags in this that are so great i was uh shocked to uh, i i didn't really notice it the first time i'm watching because i was a college kid but the then just so much noir lighting out of this like you feel that like 20s gang feel with the lighting in it still but it's not used to be like more like it's made to obviously enhance the dramatics but in a different way than you would on like a, a suspenseful like to kind of detective thing or or some gangster flick of the era um this well, it is, is a mystery. The movie is yeah. ultimately at its core. I, I feel like we forgot to mention that the movie <laughs> at its core is supposed to be a mystery. Mm. Um, and we're, the the writers after the movie opens with after the you know this intro that uh, Charles Kane has died, and they're trying to get a story out of it. And the, these writers come up, you know, the last word we heard that his last word was Rosebud. Um, and, and they're trying to find out what it means, so they're digging through all these different accounts of his life. And through them trying to find out what it means, we, we learn more and more about him from these different perspectives. Um, so, like, the mystery is ultimately not... Um, I don't know. It's not what really is driving me. And I think that's something that I've seen some people say as a as a critique or whatever. It's just, like, it, it's... It ends up being like not being enough to keep you through the movie, but I did. Mm. I definitely disagree with that because I'm just immersed in this world and I just want to learn more about the sky and, um, and you know all, all the things that how, why didn't he become the governor? And I was super interested in that because they kept talking about his politics mm. and how one era in his life he was an anarchist and one era of his life he was a fascist and um he was whatever you wanted him to be and um <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the I would say the la- the second half, maybe last third of this movie is is where my critiques would come in, just because it's it it feels like it drags in moments. Um, like you do have cool things that keep it going, and I think that are just enough to keep it going from from feeling like too too long. But the uh, 
the the governor's speech thing is just so enthralling with just like the spectacle of it and, and just the overall grandeur of the speech and Wells's performance. Uh, but that's like one of those things that you can ride that high into the to the next scene. But that that goes um, immediately into the the blackmail scene, which was which was rad to be honest. Like that was cool. Well, having yeah, the, the blackmail uh, scene was hmm. awesome. That I was like the 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 whole political arc of the movie is the best mm. part of the movie. Uh, to me um and like yeah the blackmail scene was great it was great and it's just that, like just like nothing he could do about it and he was just gonna go down you know with his pride and he, mm -hmm. he didn't expose anybody he just took it um and uh i don't know i i agree about the so i don't think that the movie like um gets like uh, bad like i'm still entertained and interested mm -hmm. in what's happening uh but i would say that the arc with the the singer is definitely the weakest uh, mm -hmm. perspective of the film. All the, everything else, all the other parts are great, great. Like I am a hundred percent interested, and I want more. But that is the one point where I was like, okay, like I'm waiting for like this section to be done with, and then uh, like move on to the. I guess the I knew the ending was coming by that point. Um, mm. And then we move on to the end. I will say though that the section with the singer ends on an awesome fucking moment with him destroying uh, her bedroom, um, mm. and that is probably one of the best parts of the whole movie. I would say is uh, the destruction of the bedroom. You made a face about that. I I I'm just shocked that uh, that of all scenes, because um, it is a very powerful scene. I just I. I don't know if it would be my favorite in the movie, but No, uh, it's not my it's not my number 1, but it's obviously one of them. It's like yeah. it's iconic. Like it's one of the iconic yeah. scenes of the film. <clears throat> like a yeah, lot of people I, talk about that scene when they talk about this movie. Mm. The I felt like the singer stuff when it got into the um where it got into that kind of like the not a montage sequence because it's, it's not really what it was, but where it goes more towards like how he's forcing her into the singing. Uh, well, stuff. like this, and like the teacher, the stuff with the yeah, teacher. Yeah, it just felt like it was just yelling for like ten to fifteen minutes straight, and that's kind of dragged. Um, but it does end up well, with least I didn't think payoff, I didn't think but... that I didn't think it was yelling for ten minutes straight. You mean like the fight or like the final well, fight or? Well, because there's like uh, you have like her in the room after the uh, after Jed's uh, thing about or like a, a review of her, and she's just screaming at him about that. And then uh, screaming about it, she never gets the, I mean, rightfully so, screaming, like yelling, I should say, about um, not really getting what she wants to do. She doesn't want to do the opera. She just, uh, all he, he doesn't really love her. She just, <laughs> he just wants her to love him and stuff. And like, which is all valid. But yeah. it just kind of felt like it, it was like hammering a lot of the same message for like 10 minutes I don't straight. think I don't think the, I don't I was like waiting for that to boil over and happen I think my issue is with like how long it took to to have the I was like we I knew it was coming so I was mm. just waiting for it to happen and like the teacher stuff I like the the com it was like trying to be like this comedy thing um mm. with like she sucks at singing and the teacher's trying to get her to sing and i wasn't interested in that so much i mm. was fine with the fights i because i like you get building and building it was like building up to that and that was like this big payoff to mm. this to this sequence um uh, and then which then ultimately pays off it keeps getting escalating and escalating and escalating mm. until he destroys the the thing um, yeah. The big fun, the big fun fact of the the destruction scene, it 
that um, he cut his hand on glass during it and just kept going uh, because to, like, to keep the performance because it was like all he wanted to be real, you know, obviously. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's pretty badass, I thought. Wow, Leonardo DiCaprio himself. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. This shit, this movie did everything. This movie did so many things first. Um, well, at least in terms of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, saying it, maybe I, maybe I'm confusing it with just how the the bits before the fights dragged, and maybe that's what I think. Because now that you're talking about it, that's uh, that is definitely uh, I think what is making me more dislike that's that. that like section of the movie is definitely, I feel like has its weakest points in this section. It's just the um, gag. The gag gets, I think they play the, I think, I, I mean, we both have issues with the same section, but it just might be for different reasons, but mm. uh, the gag getting played over and over of this, I can't sing, but I'm mm. a singer thing. It just went too far. Yeah. But I did like going into that destruction scene. I did like when she was leaving her saying the whole, um, you know, you don't, you don't love me. You just want me to love you. Uh, I thought that line was great. I thought that that whole that little interaction and scene was great. And she walks out, um, like leading before that was uh, awesome. I, I, I that line is so good, and uh, I wish I wish I would have thought of it at some point. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It um, it's just uh, the the shots with like the the mirror. There's like use of mirrors in that air- section yeah, also. Yeah, yeah. Like where he's like he opens a door and then there's a mirror on the other side of the door, like big ass one. And you're or, then, or no no no. There's the one where he walks in front of the mirror and it's like the the cascading you know mirror images thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then there's the he like opens a door where like the the door to her room and then there's another door on the other side and he like opens that one and it's just like this weird surreal door within door thing. Um, yeah, looks like a optical like illusion kind of shit uh, mm-hmm. with the camera and it's uh, it makes things mesmerizing it makes like a the story could have you know if it was shot normally not even not for the time but like for today even it would be Mm. a much more like standard i would say boring film it's the way the way the film is put together and also in terms of the the uh rearranged narrative structure Mm -hmm. um we didn't talk about that hardly at all um, but you know, everyone loves the, a good Tarantino-ing. I think that's the way I always call it. I, as a growing up, I'd be like, oh, they Tarantino the narrative. Yeah. Um, because it's like, you know, baby's first rearranged narrative. Um, mm-hmm. no, and that's no disrespect to his movies. I'm still a fan. Um, but, uh, this did it first and it does it really well. And it does it in mm-hmm. a, way, a way that is, um, that is cohesive, really, really cohesive. Mm-hmm. I would say much more cohesive than the the next film we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. The um, the I I I got lost sometimes, not lost, but like um, I got like sucked into, I should say, uh, some of the kind of like flashback vignettes in this where I kind of forget about the overall like um anchoring story, which is just finding out what Rosebud meant because you get so di- delved into just this being this a man piece about yeah. just this guy uh and then it would go back to the modern day stuff and it was like oh yeah i forgot like that's that's, that's why we're here we're, that's yeah. why we're here uh and i that's that's a really that's a really powerful effect i feel like to have the it's mm. almost like yeah like you said vignettes uh 
Um, and, and like they're rearranged uh, in a way, but it still is easy to follow. I don't think it, you get lost because it's simple. I think the narrative is simple enough that rearranging it, that's what doesn't make it difficult to digest. Yeah. Um, and like you said, there's these moments that you just want to live in and like, I want this to be the movie. Um, not like to say that anything else you don't want it to be, but um, these moments where you're just immersed in the world mm -hmm. and, and being in it and then you get pulled out and you're like, oh, wait. I mean, I guess I'm in something else now. I think a lot of the, the what makes it flow too is the is that all of the flashbacks do kind of happen in, in chronological order, whereas you're not so much jumping back and forth in time, like 1930 something, then back to 27, then back to late the 30s, then back to the 1890s or something. Like it's nice and keeps you. Uh, there's up, a couple you know. moments. I mean, in the beginning, we start, we see him old, we see him young, then we see him middle. Like it does. At a certain point, it is like on chronological. Like you're mm -hmm. right. Other than jumping to the present and the and then to whatever point in his history we're at um, by that point, um, but yeah. in the beginning it is very rearranged. Um, mm -hmm. Like we were seeing moments where he's dying, then we're seeing moments when he was like you know uh, running for office or an interview on the boat somewhere, and there were like the all this weird compilation. Um, and uh, I, I guess that was. I guess I was referring more to just when the 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 writer goes to to interview the the people of his past. Yeah, uh, no, I, I that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like in the beginning, it's it's rearranged, and then we mm -hmm. settle into this progression a after that. Um, and uh, but it's still, yeah, that's I guess that helps it. It makes it easy to follow. But uh, in the beginning, there is like this bewilderment. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's like it's just like kind of confusion, and and because you're getting bombarded with not only information, not and, and it's not even exposition. It is a lot of showing. Uh, it is a lot of showing and not telling in the movie. Um, and and um, and that's what makes it. That's what makes it great as well. Um, you get shown this like it ends up. You can't. I think there's a line in Mank that was like, you can't learn everything about a uh, a guy in two hour movie. But yeah. we can make him feel like you did, <laughs> and I definitely feel like I, you know, learned all about this man. Like I have a, an understanding of who Charles mm -hmm. Foster Kane is. He and he's a complex character. Um, I don't think like as much as uh, William Randolph Hearst was felt like this was like a character assassination, and ultimately, um, ultimately, Kane is a is a bad man for a bad guy for making uh, Susan you know, do the singing against her will and yada yada for his own pride's sake. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but in the first half of the film, he's like a really cool guy. He wants to help poor people. He's like philanthropic and he's cutting edge and he's cool and confident and handsome. Um, and you really like him everyone likes mm -hmm. him and that's how and it builds and it builds and it builds until the character assassination point and then he um starts to lose himself slowly and slowly until his ultimate death um because he loses himself not only in susan but in mm -hmm. building his palace of xanadu he's purchasing statues and oh man was this if this movie was in color it'd be vaporwave before vaporwave <laughs> with all the with all the uh the european you know greek statues and the mm -hmm. the big empty hall with the you know grecian pillars and uh his palace is 
Um, uh, I, we didn't really touch on this, but the ending parts where we are in his palace and it is annoying. Everything is like, it's like a giant's house, you know, yeah. like the scale of everything is huge. The fireplace, there's yes. whole trees <laughs> in the fireplace and there's a bonfire inside your house and these, and everything is big. The jigsaw pieces are big. The, um, uh, the, the he sits at a, at a chair that is extremely far away from a table that is far away from the couch that is far away from the the uh fireplace it is uh surreal it's dreamlike uh mm-hmm. that is in particular i could see you know uh in david lynch i could see that whole sequence in um 2001 a space odyssey the ending of that um and kubrick work uh this is i can see the influence in in just in just bites even you know just because somebody isn't like doing this doing citizen kane style again uh doesn't mean that there is an influence in just these pieces and these techniques and and like i said uh i'm sure some you know just because somebody can be influenced by a technique that was used somewhere else and just because it was used here doesn't mean that that's where they got it from but Mm -hmm. just this movie being as hyped as it is as the best movie ever um you know uh you can kind of give it that credit because yeah uh, i feel like every film head has to has to go through this road at some point in their lives Mm. yeah i mean uh, you you could argue that it is still like the best movie ever just because of what it did with for its time and with its just technological and just creative restraints of still figuring this whole medium out you know this is still in the we're right in the middle of the transition from uh radio to film being like a, a mainstay with te- uh, especially because televisions are right around the corner and everything um and i think that uh, personally i don't think it's the film's the, been around for like yeah 60, like 70 years yeah uh, 50 60 70 years at this point uh, at least 50 plus um and uh i think the, 80, i think it's 80 now the movie came out in 41 when was the <laughs> film i was just being generous with i was just like is it 1870s 1880s i don't remember um uh, wait that but, film started or when this film came out well no when film was invented Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant when this film came out. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, film. I was film talking about when the movie 18. came out, but yeah. when film was invented. That's what I'm saying. Sorry, um, misunderstood. <laughs> that's fine. That's no problem. Um, because like the, the, this is very much ushering in a new wave. Um, not to use that, <laughs> use that quote because it's literally a term for a later wave in cinema. But um, uh, the it's just like in Hollywood, you know, it's like in mm. Hollywood kind of ha- it takes time to absorb what's going on in the art form as a whole, you know, whether it's, mm-hmm. whether it's these area, area, you know, eras, it's like something from Europe or something from, you know, indie, uh, independent things or what have you. Um, you know, Hollywood is still at this time about making money, um, just like it is today. Uh, mm-hmm. and that some things in that regard never change. Um, but eventually, you know, it's going to absorb these things and, and take a chance on something, um, that, that something, you know, powerful or something that d- d- it changes the world, you know? Yeah. And yeah, if more dude. eyes get on that than something that n- is niche and obscure, then that's going to have a bigger influence on future filmmakers 
you know, mm. like a Steven Spielberg, you know, has a huge influence on future filmmakers because we've all seen his movies. Exactly. And like with something like this at the time it came out, it, uh, you know, it didn't win Best Picture at the Academy Award, but it is taught in every single film class and it is uh, considered the staple of granddaddy of modern cinema. Um, so it's just like you never know what's going to be that influential thing the next step even if it isn't regarded as as the the best thing at the time um because like you said earlier like this flopped i guess at the theaters but like look at it now yeah and we'll talk about we'll talk about why in a second because i think we've pretty much um we haven't gone like depth we haven't broken down scenes and in-depth analysis honestly there's a reason why people they do classes on this because you could talk i could we could break this down frame by frame and make a whole podcast just about that mm -hmm. um you know and like the nuts and bolts uh are are um you could just you could keep going into the nitty-gritty with this um but it is a, an incredible film and i think and then i think it lives up to the hype that it gets i don't know if i it's the best movie I've ever seen, but it has to be in the conversation because of how mm. expertly and perfectly crafted it is. Yeah, yeah, for for just soul pioneering alone, it has to be. But like, I, I don't like I don't like waiting it because of because of for its time. I'm not a big fan of that. Like, it mm. has does it stand on its own today? And I think it absolutely does. I don't think no, it's agreed. like I don't think there's a wait for it's just like that. You consider that on top of it. That's yeah. what makes it like incredible. That's what makes it like uh, you know lightning in a, yeah, in a the, bottle. The fact that modern movies are still use this format and this like this way of storytelling and stuff like that is is why it's still. I think it's, it's can stay in the conversation on its own. But just knowing the fact that it is eighty years old, comparing it to anything modern, that it is still in the conversation, I feel like is a deserved weightedness. <laughs> like uh, man, like I don't college me just just so. I was just a little punk. <laughs> I should have taken this stuff a lot more serious because this is there's so much to learn and it'll just get out of this. It's more of an experience, especially as a filmmaker. Oh um, yeah, as a filmmaker, this know. is like a you know, uh, I don't know the the right right word, but it's like a sampler of all these different techniques and uh, mm -hmm. um, especially practical thing, practical techniques um, for those that are looking to get away from the CG and, and how to tell a story with that mm -hmm. it does seem really expensive i don't know what the, the i didn't look up what the budget it was is like like eight hundred and fifty thousand ish um which for that time is would probably be like a 10 million dollar budget now maybe um so it eventually did make its money back through re-releases i'm i do see on the wikipedia but it's been re-released how many times i'm sure over the yeah the last 80 years um uh, but yeah, uh, but so I I feel like I want to talk about the the production and and I want to talk about the uh like the how it's gone from uh how it went from a flop to, um, to being considered the best movie of all time um by by many. Um, so what are you giving Citizen Kane? I'm gonna give it a four and a half. Wow, giving it a five. Ooh. Giving it a five, yeah. The perfect like, film. I can't say perfect this many times without giving it a five. Um, so yeah, there it is. I just like I said, lives up to the hype. Whether it's your favorite movie, it's or whatever is whatever, but it mm. absolutely don't let hype um, affect your opinion on something. I know so many people they're like, I don't ever want to. I don't want to watch that movie because 
uh, people, you know, old men talk like it's the say it's the best movie ever or whatever. Uh, yeah. But in many cases, they they might not be the best movie ever still, but they are still good and still worth learning and exploring. Yeah. Um, this is this is a movie that younger contrarians will will circle back on in their thirties and appreciate. <laughs> I, and that's exactly what I've done right here with this. Yeah, it's not the same. Um, so uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Orson Welles a little bit. Um, Orson Welles is a really interesting guy. I've uh, been kind of went down a hole of interviews later in life. Uh, apparently, um, I don't know if it's because he needed money or what, but he was constantly interviewed, uh, constantly guests on talk shows, constantly. Um, He's doing commercials, and there's this really infamous uh, wine commercial where he's hammered during it, and he there's like a million outtakes, and he's kind of just like they give him a script, and he doesn't use it, and he just makes up whatever he wants. Uh, he's just very much like I'm a genius, but I'm kind of you know I know that I'm past my prime, and I'm just living my life, and I'm ex- I proud of what I've done, and I he just like he's confident in himself. Because he mm-hmm. knows what he's done, you know, like a Kanye energy, just less, uh, just less aggressive and chaotic, more, uh, more relaxed. And he's a, he's very erudite. He speaks with this uh, almost European feeling accent, uh, like it's very you know sophisticated. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm like theater, like he's got one of those kind of voices. Um, yeah. and, and then the performance, it's not as his performance is not like that in Citizen Kane, but. Um, and he's he's got a really deep, rich baritone from because doing radio. You know, he's got a radio voice, uh, and uh, I don't know. And I feel like when I was a kid, I knew Orson Welles first for doing the um, War of the Worlds radio play that people thought was real, which actually mm. I looked into, and it was just kind of fabricated that people thought it was real. So it made Orson and made Orson Welles famous. Jeez, that's, um, yeah, that's viral marketing. Yeah, basically viral marketing for the time. Um, I know when I was a kid, I also thought Orson Welles was H.G. Wells, that who all who wrote War of the Worlds, and it took me a while to separate the two Wells for War of the Worlds. I did not know that. I thought it was Orson Welles wrote it as well. Yeah, H.G. Wells is the author of War of the Worlds. Orson Welles did the radio play version that that. Went viral, went viral. <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, Guys, and, just think: if we land this, we'll go viral. Oh, and that was all before he was. That was all before Citizen Kane. This is all before twenty five. Um, and then uh, I think he tried to do a couple films before Citizen Kane, and they failed. And then this is the first one that that got off the ground. Um, he. Uh, this is probably one, is one of the few films apparently where he had final cut and full con- creative control of every element, um, which is why it, it's considered his, one of his best. I think I, I did do some digging that there, he has a few... He has a bunch of other films that are supposed to be really good, um, but some people do argue that he uh, a couple later films are are up there as well. Um, so I would be interested in even watching more in, of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing to note, uh, he was attached to the infamous Jodorowsky's Dune, um, the Dune that was what was in production before the Lynch one by Alejandro Jodorowsky, um, that was supposed to be way more colorful and psychedelic and weird as fuck. It's a really interesting documentary. I believe I briefly touched on it um, in the Dune episode. 
Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, he was apparently supposed to play Baron Ar- Arconan in that, um, which because uh, he's very big by the sixties. Mm. Uh, very, he's very very large man later in life. Um, I'd be and, down with that though. Uh yeah, I I really want to watch the documentary. I didn't get a chance to. I'm at the end of the book of for the first Dune now. Um, but uh, but yeah, we'll I'll leave the Dune talk for now. And uh, so as far as the film itself, the history was. So Mank Mank briefly touches upon this, but the uh, the infamous uh, press man William Randolph Hearst, the 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 character of, of Charles Foster Kane is considered to be a composite of William Randolph Hearst, Joseph Pulitzer, um, other Chicago tycoons like Samuel Insull and Harold McCormick, um, and uh, and but mainly. It popular in popular thought, it is considered that it's basically based on William Randolph Hearst, uh, who is a major player in the mo- the Mank movie, and he did not want this movie to come out after knowing that the character was based on him, um, and he did everything that he could. He's a very powerful man at the time, and you know considering that he controlled press, but also and he's very very rich, so the influence there, which is in Mank. Um, that he used all of his power to try to get the movie pulled. Uh, apparently, a lot of theaters refused to play it. Um, uh, re- he paid reviewers to bomb it. You know, um, all that, all that stuff. So when it came out, it failed, but it was kind of like an orchestrated failure uh, by the powers that be. Um, and then it kind of, uh, it, it, there's two things that are major credit are majorly credited for the movie's revival. Um, first is there's a French um, French movie reviewer, a French critic named Andre Bazin um, in 1956 uh, reviewed it uh, and uh, reviewed it around 1956 and you know said that it was uh, uh, brought upon a new era in cinema and you know is incredible film and praised it for cinematography and, and lighting and all these techniques. And so they re-released it in 1956. And the the movie had a, a big uh, revival and it became a much bigger deal. Uh, and then other critics got onto it, and apparently a bunch of other French directors, uh, future French directors, I think Francois Truffaut is one, um, praise like is noted, the heavily praised the film as well. And then uh, and then the last thing that is credited for the revival is television. Um, making a deal with RKO. RKO Pictures apparently was one of the earlier uh, companies to sign a contract with television um, to put all their films on TV. And Citizen Kane, you know, was aired in full, you know, a, a bunch. And uh, some people gave it a shot and learned that it was actually really good. I thought that was really that was all super interesting. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing to note is, uh, know, is what the movie Mank is about. Uh, which is the writer of the the main writer of the screenplay, Herman J. Mankiewicz, uh, is uh, you know he is pretty much the sole writer, um, but uh, originally did was not intended to have credit on the film. It was intended to have Orson as solely everything <laughs> to be the you know because he's this wonderkind, he's this yeah. prodigy, and they refer to him as such in Mank. Um, yeah, but yeah, he's Boy this prodigy. Wonder. Um, and yeah, so I think that's, it was, that's the segue I wanted to give the little, the little lecture I wanted to, uh, to give to segue us into Mank. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about with that? Um, are you ready to, to, to Mank it? 
Spank I'm ready to make it. I was just gonna say, just the just that whole backstory, which in Mank touches upon, it made me enjoy and kind of I I I, I was felt more invested in uh, in the story of Citizen Kane after. Um, I did super cool. Yeah, yeah. I I thought Mank was all right. Um, I was not I was not blown away by it. I didn't think it was you know I don't know if it's Oscar level. I'm a big 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 fan of David Fincher. I think mm-hmm. David Fincher. I was saying this to Riss last night, but I feel like when Baby's first film, like film buff stuff, like when you're in college or in high school, or is like you know Tarantino or Kevin Smith or um. I don't know, shit like that, Spielberg, uh, whatever. And then you go to, like, the next level, and I feel like David Fincher is, like, the first name on the next level. Um, that, like, super well-known household name, and you've probably seen, like, half of his movies without even knowing that he did it. Um, you know, like, uh, popular films include Panic Room, Gone Girl, uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, uh, oh, I didn't realize it was him. Exactly. Ex- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fight Club 7, um, Alien 3. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's got a hell of a filmography. Um, and uh, and he's also he also created the show Mindhunter, which I'm a big f- I was I was a big fan mm-hmm. of before they canceled it. So pissed. Um, but, yeah, he, the dude, the dude uh, has done a lot of awesome stuff. So I was going to watch this film regardless, and I felt like you can't really watch this film without seeing Citizen Kane. And, boy, is you can't watch this film like without seeing Citizen Kane. I don't think it would be very watchable without, without that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good. It's good. Apparently it was written by his uh, late father, uh, the screenplay, Jack Fincher. And I looked actually into his dad. His dad was a writer for Life magazine and uh, and, and other things. He has a Wikipedia. Um, so, uh, yeah, David Fincher is second generation successful. So, uh, wow. Yeah, you find out that almost everybody is. Uh, you More and more all the time. It's a little disheartening um, that the greats are, were already rich. But uh, so there. <laughs> if you want to have, if you want to, if you want to make it in and show business, you're gonna have to get rich by doing something else, and then give your kid the generational wealth and support, and creative support. <laughs> That's what I feel like I'm starting to learn. Yeah, I mean, I I living in LA for five years, you learn very quick that um, uh, nepotism is is what runs that city, and you just hope that somebody who is already in power just likes you enough to bring you along Give for the ride. Give you a chance, yeah. Bring you along for a ride, you gotta be Remora. Uh, just eating, yeah. eating parasites off the shark. And... <laughs> As it is, that's how it is. I mean, I, like sometimes it works out where genuinely really great people, and and I have some friends that are like that, and then there's people I've worked for in the past that are just kind of like I know you are only here because of who your dad is or your mom is, and you're terrible at your job, and you make every all of us below the line positions just not want to work in film because of it. But it's uh, welcome to Hollywood, baby. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's not the shit on David Fincher because he's still still great. Um, and still yeah, phenomenal director. A lot of great films. Oh, yeah, Zodiac is another one I didn't drop um, that he did. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, after Mike drops. Mank. Let's mank it. What did you think about Mank? Hot take, but this hot take won't reflect my score. 
but I like this more than Citizen Kane. Oh I my love God! Gar- Stop! I love Gary. I love oh Gary Oldman in this. Oh my God! He's, you're crazy. Just, you're wrong. You are movie. wrong. <laughs> hey, hold on. It's not going to reflect my score at the end. It's just I I love Gary Oldman's performance in this movie so much that I I came away more enjoying this but it's a little long but this is a little long i think this could have been under two hours Chopped i didn't think honestly i didn't think gary um, gary oldman's performance was good but it wasn't like my favorite gary oldman performance there's something uh, about it I, lo- I, I just really loved hearing him I, just talk and just his oh, that like man. regal transatlantic like style of speaking was just so like it's like watch it's like butter talk i, I think this movie it. is 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 fine to good um it uh, hmm. it's solid. Uh, I like Amanda Seyfried's performance probably even better than Gary Oldman's. But Gary Oldman's yeah, good too. Gary Oldman's doing his thing. He's doing Gary Oldman shit. I I just watched Hannibal recently, and he plays a character with his face like gaunt, like that gets ripped off, and uh, he like has like he's still alive after, and he's like Gary Oldman's always doing these ham hammed up characters. Um, I really did enjoy the character of uh, Mank. Um, mm. I really enjoyed his story and his style and he's very, uh, enigmatic. Uh, he's, he's very uh, educated and clever and he's, um, it's, but as far as the movie itself, um, I think it's, it's a little like at times it's a little trite at times, uh, in the beginning, it's a little lost. I feel like the, it kind of meanders in, mm-hmm. but it gets settles. It gets settled as it goes. And once we get to the first, uh, dinner scene at William Randolph Hearst's. Um, that's when I'm like, oh, this scene is really good, and the, I'm interested now. Like, I was kind of easing into it, and it felt like just another uh, like biopic um, for a while. Um, there's even moments at the end where I was like, man, you kind of in a biopics they got to check off certain things. There's a, um, a Patrick Willems video about, about music biopics uh, that is really good. It's like points out all the form the formula to it and i think one of those pieces of the formula is you have scenes where you establish where the uh the creator is inspired by a life event and it is directly inspiring a scene in the movie or in the thing that they make or a song like uh there's a scene in I Walk the Line stands out where she where Reese Witherspoon's character says, literally, you ain't gonna walk no line. And then he writes the song Walk the Line, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> the, there's a moment at the end uh of this where Orson Welles like smashes some shit and he's like, Oh, I think that's our ending. Yeah, it was uh, just like, Oh, that's exactly what we needed. A violent altercation between uh, you and Susie. Between uh, and Susie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just like that happened. I was like, that was just an example of like moments where I was like, uh it like brought it down a little for me of of a biopic formula. Biopic formulas. But uh I did like it. I did like. I could. I was just hanging with Gary Oldman, and I, that'll get me by most movies. <laughs> you, yeah, <laughs> hanging that, with that, Gary Oldman is. I, I'm pretty. That'll get me by anything. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, and I think maybe because I read so much, like I said, uh, one. I think we said this before the podcast started, but I read a lot about the production of Citizen Kane before I watched this movie, and I kind of on accident learned a lot about some of these things i just didn't learn a lot about mank himself because i wanted i wanted to save that for the movie Mm -hmm. um but uh i don't know i like 
I'm gonna pass it back to you because I've been talking for a while. But uh, like, I feel like the pastiche and like how it's made, like trying to seem like it's from like sh- a movie from the '40s or whatever, like the black and white. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, like that works. Like it, it looks like it's shot on brand new cameras because it is, and um, and that's okay. That's the, it's just um, I expected more of the uh, like old school effects, and it kind of only happens in the uh, election scene. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like the uh, what's it called did this too um last night in soho with like the kaleidoscope like shit yeah. like around the head and stuff just nothing but cross dissolves on cross dissolves on cross dissolves yeah and like that too like i i know he didn't want to probably rely on that as a gimmick like i'm gonna imitate citizen kane so instead i'm just gonna do it for this one scene um but uh but yeah, like I think once the movie got settled, it was pretty cool, and it was I was interested throughout through the rest. Is a little long. Um, by, by the point of the suicide scene, um, I was like ready for the movie to, to be ending, and there still was like forty minutes left, um, but or like thirty minutes left. But uh, the ending was good. Um, and once, like I said, once it got going from that like beginning where it was just kind of him with the car crash and the laying mm-hmm. in bed and like just getting every the setup of the movie was a little messy and a little meandering, but once it got going, I was interested and entertained through the rest. Um, and it was interesting to see some of these things play out, and I was very interested in William Randolph Hearst, um, you know, being the, the Hearst Castle being the big inspiration mm-hmm. for Xanadu. Um, in in Citizen Kane, but yeah, um, nowhere near, nowhere near how much I enjoyed Citizen Kane, or how much I enjoy, or how much like in terms of the films, but definitely cool. And if you're really into Citizen Kane, I think this is just something you should watch. Uh, should watch also. Yeah, I'm gonna have to uh, diverge from you on the the, the way it looks because I loved it. This is uh, it is shot. On, I just looked it up when you were talking. It is shot on red helium. Fincher is a big uh, red guy. Um, but the way that it is, because uh, red has monochromatic sensors that they they specialty do to give out, where it's uh, they're not color sensors that just meant for black and white, and you get so much more of this like unique texture, like crisp look with it when you don't have to worry about a sensor calibrated for color. And so much of this movie to me felt like actors on uh on like a roll roller stage or just like a matte painting or whatever. Just the way that they uh, they did the highlight exposure on this, it just everything glowed and just looked so like they looked like they weren't in front of the actual like buildings or houses a lot on a lot of like the big wide shots. And I, I just I loved that look and that hooked me in from the start. Um, but I can agree though that for me, and I didn't really know what the hell was happening until the first Orson Welles call when they talk about 60 days instead of 90. Um, that's when I, that's for me was my grounding point of knowing like, okay, now I know what's actually happening in this movie. Cause I uh, like you, I went in blind. Um, I just knew it was about Citizen Kane in some way, but, uh, I, 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 I had the same like look at my phone mark, but not, mine was at 50 minutes left. I uh, which was just before the suicide thing. Um, but I feel like after the suicide thing, because from there it gets more into the um, the divulgence from uh, Mank from the rest of his writing group and the the big like the big wigs at the uh, at the studios, and then that kind of reeled me back in, uh, like culminating in that big dinner scene at the end where he's just hammered like uh doing his like pitch script that's just essentially talking shit on Hearst. Uh mm. 
I, I just so good. I that whole thing was so good, and that I I I just feel like, which is my main critique. I feel like in a lot of movies is knowing when to trim the fat, especially whenever like when you're David Fincher and you're doing a Netflix movie. I guarantee he has full control on this, and and the just the way of the filmmaker Finch is. Uh, a few of my friends uh, worked on Mindhunter, and were one of them was part of the production on it. Um, they hired his company to do all the rentals and stuff and working with Fincher, he was like, this guy can do everybody's position on set himself and better. And he's just so, it's kind of like how Wes Anderson is. Everything looks the way it does when it comes to like the, the lighting and the way it's shot. That is so like, I can see in this and appreciate because it, it just looks so clean, but unique at the same time like i i, I enjoyed the the black and white and being a modern look black and white mm-hmm. but uh i i wish there was more than just the transitions saying like interior uh mankowitz's bungalow day or whatever i like, I, 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 th- I, I like I, them i just want, i got I want more. it i got it as a motif because of the writing yeah like it's like yeah I, okay cool <clears throat> i yeah i wanted more stuff like that to be in this doesn't got um, the cool ass transitions of Citizen Kane though. Oh no. my god! Oh my god! I gotta remember while we still talk about while I still have it memorized, remembered, and before I, before any further into Mank, but in Citizen Kane, I got jump scared by the like parakeet cockatoo thing <laughs> that that shows up on the screen and sc- on the screen mm. and screams. Uh, to transition to like uh, the like the when the 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 butler or whatever sees the final fight, like it, it's kind of mm. tra- that is the transition to the destruction scene and the big yeah. ass yelling scene and all that, and um and boy was that really cool. It's like uh superimposed over the shot, like it doesn't mm. look great because it's like pre green screen or very early, but I, I don't think they don't have it then. It's just like they they took the shot and they probably cut it uh, cut around it and overlaid it like laid it on top of the um the you know the mm. film or whatever and uh, uh boy did that scare me and I was like is this our is this the first jump scare <laughs> that's what I wrote down <laughs> <laughs> that's funny I mean it could be I think I think what it was is that it it was like a feathered. Uh, thing where the bird is just on the left hand side of the screen, similar to what they did with the old man Jed with the flashback thing. Um, yeah, they use it as a transition, having, it wipes across. Yeah. yeah, and it's uh, having that is. Uh, I definitely, I didn't jump scared you, but I definitely was like, oh shit, check the volume because it was so loud and screeching. Yeah, it well, it just was. I'm it was so like, I was almost abstract, it was mm. very very creative as a transition and and i've seen transitions like that in later movies but just to see it done at such an early point um is just was fascinating to me and was one of my like wasn't my favorite part or anything it was just a super interesting um you know technique you know that they did Mm -hmm. um but all right back to mank um yeah i i feel like that you know there were more parts about it that i I liked but really just boiled down to the two dinner scenes at william randolph hearst's Mm -hmm. um like that is what the movie kind of came to me and like i was like that's the the two moments that i was most interested in like kind of the rest of it i was kind of drifting along um Mm. in the world and i was excited every time that Orson Welles came on the screen, but I knew that they were just like, you couldn't put too much of him in or, mm-hmm. or it would be, 
um, about Take Orson away. Welles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Orson Welles, by the way, played by Tom Burke, who took me to the end of the movie to figure this out. I saw him. He's a British actor, and I saw him in the movie um, The Souvenir with uh, um, Tilda Swinton's daughter. I forget her first name. Um, she's actually a pretty, uh, pretty good actress. Um, but uh, it was really good, and his character was a piece of shit in that movie. And it's just like, whoa, like you don't sound anything or look anything. Like he's a cleft lip and and everything. Mm. Like he looked completely different, and his voice sounded identical oh, to 100%. Orson Welles. And I knew that's like they used him on the telephone first, and you didn't see his face because mm. like you just heard the voice. And I'm like, I'm closing my eyes when they when they at the very end they play real Orson Welles talking about Mank. Um, and, uh, it doesn't sound any different than the actor. Agreed. Um, it's just a little fuzzier. That's it. Um, yeah. man, he's a good actor and that, that showed it for me there. But, um, I thought the uh, same thing when they showed the, the video of Mank, uh, getting his Oscar, I was like, damn, the Orson or the, not Orson, um, Gary Oldman, identical. Like they, I think both of these guys nailed the voices. I never heard. I don't know what Mank sounds like. How did, they what? played him at the end of the movie, uh, getting his little Oscar thing. He's like, "Do you have anything to say about uh, to?" No, that was uh, Gary Oldman. That was. Oh, I thought the way no, that they that was not the real Mank. I made it seem like it was no, the real Mank. That was not the real Mank. Oh, never he, mind. Gary that. Oldman looks nothing like Mank. I, I, ironically enough, Mank looks like the Hausman character. Um, the mm. like other writer that was helping Gary Oldman. Their faces yeah. looks very similar. Um, the well my mistake then but uh the i was gonna say one of the you said the two dinner scenes were your big ones i one of my big scenes was uh when the the president of um mgm comes in to give the the tier the crocodile tier speech about needing to have wages for eight weeks um just seeing because this is at the beginning of when like like the film unions are just becoming a thing they reference the right yeah and yeah stuff. and there's it a lot was of socialists so... there's a lot of social pro-socialist stuff and that's what yeah. i wanted to talk about next because obviously i'm i'm into that too but um yeah finish what you're saying i was gonna say it was uh it was so interesting to just see because you're seeing it behind the scenes of like this guy's talking about how much money they're just wasting on shit they're not even gonna make and then he walks in to say, we don't have enough money to afford everyone's salaries because of the Great Depression. I'm sorry. And then on his way out, it's just like it convinces all these people to just be like, yeah, we're down with it. Uh, and doesn't even make good on his promise of paying the back wages and just fucking it was it's just like, man, Hollywood was always been Hollywood. That's yes. Was... Essentially, that's what I got out of this. There's definitely this is not a love letter to Hollywood. This is a little, probably the opposite. Mm -hmm. um interesting that it is a netflix film also um that uh not that that's not hollywood but it's definitely out of the way mm -hmm. of you know the the you know big film releases um it's funny because netflix the a lot of my friends work on netflix shows and they all complain about how netflix is penny pinchers and just like oh that, they are yeah they are actually that's a good point glad you brought that up because they are an, apparently notorious for um running things on the lowest budget they can get yeah um, and you can see that with some a lot of the shows that come out um mm. um like this would be one that they would probably give unlimited money to yeah like, or like to the irish because it's yeah. yeah exactly they'll have their their heavy hitters but like everything else is just like the stuff that shot here uh like the resident year, like, isn't the resident evil movie uh the new resident evil thing in netflix thing or no uh, no, I didn't I don't know think, that. Uh, maybe it's there's. A, I think there's a show and a movie, and I think I might be confusing them. 
Yeah, I know an animated show came out last year. Not animated. Uh, There's a live uh, action thing coming. But anyways. Oh. Um, anyways. Yeah, the that's Hollywood being Hollywood is just so wild to me. That's just always kind of been like that. But that was leading into the the the, the heavy political themes of this movie. Yes, 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 yes. <clears throat> so Upton Sinclair is actually a uh, a character that's talked about uh, a character in the film concert. Oh my god, a character in the film talked about constantly. Um, he is played by Bill Nye the Science Guy. The yeah, <laughs> and I noticed that right away. Um, mm. so Upton Sinclair was a writer, I think most, uh, most famous for the jungle, um, but also stuff like oil and, uh, um, I, I, I'm brain farting, but I know there's at least two others that are like household names. Um, so he's a very, very great writer. Uh, and I actually didn't know that he ran for governor of California, um, in, uh, in this time. Um, and I actually, me and Riss looked into that uh, a little bit. Um, but yeah, he obviously he lost, uh, and this was, uh, spouting a lot of socialist ideals. And I think a lot of people don't realize because of the anti-communist waves, uh, post-World War II, but, um, American people flirted with socialism in a f good handful of eras of, uh, American history in 18, later 1800s. Um, and around this time as well, I think FDR, the success of FDR's programs, I think opened a lot of people up to wanting things to go further, um, mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, and you definitely see a lot, this movie is definitely pro socialism. Um, it is anti capitalism, maybe not in the, the, it's definitely anti con. It's, it's like explicitly, there's a few lines that are like, about the difference of socialism and communism mm -hmm. um and i think mank has a line that's like uh socialism is uh wealth for everybody communism is poverty for everybody yep um yep. and apparently i said that to Riss, and Riss said that that's actually a saying she's heard before um but uh i thought that was you know that's kind of like summing up uh there's there's like a pitch to modern people for socialism and and trying to you know remind people that communism and socialism aren't the same thing but they were mm -hmm. tied together because of american uh conservative propaganda and they still are to this day and it's like you know this movie's from 1940 and there's some of the things these people are saying about socialism are identical to the way people talk about it today mm -hmm. um and also the way that the big money machine the big political machine um always is going to step out stamp out um you know popular socialist candidates that have uh and that's kind of and that is also which is the inspiration for charles foster kane's political assassination in the film which denotes his downfall as a human being yeah the um it's it's nuts that just the the way that uh people just refuse to just blindly like when they have the scene in this movie where they're talking with the director Shelley shoots the, the reels for the campaign against Bill, not a science guy, uh, the uh, Sinclair Upton. Yes. Yes. Um, I was just, I wanted to talk about that too. Go ahead. It's uh, it, it's even to the point where it's bringing Mank, like not to tears, but it brought the director to kill himself because of the, like it's, they've, they said it's like half real, half hired actors, but it's all propaganda. It's all nonsense. And there's so much of that. that just plays to so much today. Yep. Obviously it was, it was the internet was shot. propaganda. Yeah. Obviously this movie was shot then, but this is all based on things that were happening at the time. And it's just like, it's, it's old snake war never changes. Uh, <laughs> yep. Propaganda never changes. Yeah. Um, 
I think uh, propaganda was very, very uh, prolific in this in this era and before it. Um, so you're like the early, uh, I mean, even honestly in the 1800s as well, but um, the 19 early 1900s with the newspapers and telegram telegraphs and radio and stuff, and like you just had a real way of controlling the narrative um, if you controlled the news. Uh, and, and that's a thing in Citizen Kane, and that's a thing in in Mank, um, which is made today. And that is the kind of the connective tissue they're going going at, um, is this critique on um, super capitalists and uh, and and so and the pro socialist stuff. And um, I you know I like that. I'm not anti that, but I do think that it was a, in this film in particular, it feels sometimes a little ham fisted. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, not always, but I think because they keep hitting on it and keep hitting on it, it's just like yeah, like today, yeah, yeah it's like a, today. Uh, it's a good <laughs> chunk of like the the second half of the second act and the first half of the third act. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say that. Um, is that a huge that, chunk of that? And that's honestly where the movie starts. And as my, I was interested in the Upton Sinclair stuff, but once, um, but it's like the Shelley stuff takes a lot of time um, in that area, and I'm starting to lose it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, not a I, little bit. I definitely am starting to lose it. When uh, I will say though about the Shelley scene, when he gives the bullets to uh, um, his wife. Uh, no, He's... no, no. He gives them to Mank. Uh, when Shelley gives oh. the bullets to Mank, it pulls him oh, out of the yeah. gun. Uh, I'm looking. It's like, wait, there's only five. He left one in the chamber, and it didn't matter anyways. No, I counted. There was six. Uh, yeah, I I didn't like rewind or pause, but it was just a I quick paused because I was like, it's like <laughs> that, are they really gonna do? He didn't count the bullets. Um, because that's what I thought it was going with, but uh, I mean, he ended up killing himself anyways. But it was for at least it was a different reason. So it was a they had uh, the, yeah, the minor subversion of expectation. You thought he was gonna kill himself, but you didn't think this was how. Yeah, uh, but yeah. The, so that was like, I mean, it's a sad moment, but it was just kind of like a, they were trying to build tension that I think that that was just a cop out uh, ending to that, if that makes sense. But yeah. the, um, I don't know, it's just, a, it's a weird, the, I, I think I, it's ham fisted, like you were saying, sorry, I'm just trying to figure out how to say this. Um, it's for sure it becomes ham fisted because by the end of it, I'm just sick of p- politics and I feel like it, it's a movie that is supposed to be more about. The right, like it all ties in because Citizen Kane is so many political things uh, well, going across of it. It's not that I'm sick uh, of politics, but I'm sick of like how over, like o- over the top I mean. it is. Because the yeah, ending I mean, is still about politics, but the ending is good. Mm. The uh, yeah, that's essentially what I'm trying to say. The uh, it's it's just the bits of it in the movie it gets the same thing over and over again uh across the two dinner scene things and and then again uh in the second dinner scene when he's just essentially rehashing his entire play idea which is just essentially the the how hearst goes from you know like young progressive into old capitalist and um it's like, we got it, I guess. But I don't know. I, I, yeah, did, I still like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that that is true that in the end, he kind of made, like, I, I guess if you're not familiar with Hearst's history, um, I was only familiar with the old capitalist. So to hear that, oh, he actually was also grew up as a young um, idealist um, as well. And he's like, oh, okay. So he literally is, is Kane. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't know. It, it was good though. I like it, it. That I actually just realized that might take it a little down, but um, yeah, I don't. I, I like the performance. So like the it was what carries the ending. Yeah, and uh, one of the things about the ending I wanted to ask you, and I don't. This might be one of those things that makes me sound dumb, but I just wanted to make sure I took it right. They mentioned the the organ grinders monkey parable twice, and then he explain uh, Hearst explains it the second time. But so is he? Is Hearst saying that? Hearst is the organ grinder guy, or is Hearst the monkey? Or is Mank no, the monkey? No, and... Mank is the monkey. Hearst is the organ grinder. Okay, because the, the um, way he describes it, that the dance organ grinder monkey is dance. A, yeah, is is a poor old man who's just there to do the box, but the monkey's the one that like feels like they've got the power and all that stuff. And I was like, well, is Mank the the old? Is Mank representative of the the laborers? Uh, who are poor and smelly and don't shower, but they're the ones doing the work so that the monkey gets its money, or is it? Well, the monkey the, is the thinks it, it has the, the power, the, but it doesn't. Yeah. but it doesn't uh, actually. It's the yes. one that's actually the slave because it's the dance. It's dance monkey dance. Yeah. Um. Um. That's what I figured, but I just wanted to just because he the way he, the uh, that Hearst character or Hearst uh, described the he made a point to describe the old guys like poor old and smelly or whatever i was like are you trying to say no that i think you, maybe or? he's trying to make himself more sympathetic like yeah, you don't yeah. under, you don't understand well even like that the jb or whatever the or no not jb what the fuck is J- that uh lb lb um, he says right before he leaves like uh you don't know that he pays half your salary and it's because he mm. likes you and he, it's because he likes the way you talk not the way you write um and uh and it was supposed to like make Mank feel bad for like pissing shitting on the guy who who pays him because he likes him. Yeah. And uh and it made it was like trying to make I think Hearst seem sympathetic. Not to the audience, but to Mank yeah. in these final yeah. moments, I guess. Um and like I think it's a of note the Mank is who brings up the the organ grinder parable earlier in the film and I think it's mm-hmm. in the later timeline. Um, before we yeah, he's saying it on the bed uh, with Mrs. Alexandra uh, when they're writing. Uh, he brings it up to her right before like a flashback starts. All right. Um, do you have uh, anything else you want to talk about, Mank? Um, I don't know. Overall, like it, it, you'll you'll uh, you'll see what I mean by wait for my score because it's it, I I love the performances is the is the movie for me and strip away the performances. It's I I. I agree with you. It's more of just like a better than okay movie. Um, yeah, good. It can be. I, I don't have anyone. I don't have a problem with anyone thinking it's good, and I don't have a problem with anyone thinking that, um, like they're entertained throughout the film. Like good mm-hmm. for like good for you. It's not the most boring film I've ever seen or anything like that. It's not even yeah. that boring. It's not even really that boring. It's just do no, I? I don't think so. It's just like it took a while to make me care, and then mm-hmm. once I cared, it then was the Shelley stuff and. I like I cared, but I also just didn't like the way it was all hand- done, and then it got good, and then the ending was good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Scoring. yeah, I can see how this lost to Nomadland, uh, and I think it is definitely Oscar nomination worthy. I think just because of how goddamn good the, I think the performances are. But uh, yeah, it car- you know it carried me. That's what carried me through the whole way without getting too bored. I think. Um, but uh, I think you, this could shave about 15 minutes off and it would feel like a clean two hours. I think. 
this would do this movie a, a lot more justice. I think the Shelley stuff could have been cut down for sure. And I know that was supposed to be like the emotional weight at that point, but mm. um, so it probably no, felt it, necessary to the narrative, but it yeah. definitely could, was but, the area of the film that could have been less for me. Yeah. And it sucked because that's, that's the thing to try to put more weight of responsibility on to Mank yeah. too. And it's not because he's like, well, the studio said this was your idea. And that's so killing himself should. Oh, it should, it like, could happen, but it may be just not yeah. be as much, but, um, because I get that it's supposed to, insp that's what's inspires him to go on the rant, to yeah. go back to Hearst hammered on the rant. Cause he's mourning or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I just pulled up the 93rd Oscars, uh, Academy Award winners, uh, or nominees, I mean. Um, and I have now seen, not all of them, actually. I still haven't seen The Father, Promising Young Woman, and Trial of the Chicago 7. But I've seen, seen the, I've seen the rest. Um, and I would say that Minari is still my favorite of the of them all. Mm-hmm. That um, agreed. Nomadland is good. Don't and Nomadland's probably my second favorite of all these. Sound of Metal maybe is my third. Judas is my fourth. Mank is my last of all the ones I've seen. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Minari. <laughs> Same. I'm. I've only seen three. The three Minari, Nomadland, and this. And I. I would say it's. Yeah, I would say it's Minari, Nomadland. This just Nomadland just has so much more heart and reality to it. Um, while this is based on true events, it definitely feels more like, um, not phantasmal, but just like more, it feels more of a, like a story and less of like a move or not move. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Um, but no, my land just feels more real. And I emoted so much harder in that movie. Same with Minari. Minari just, uh, it was, it's so good. It was so good. Yeah. It's amazing that it didn't win that many Oscars. It got supporting actress, um, but that is mostly, at least for the big ones, that's all I'm seeing. Um, Mank got cinema, best cinematography. I could believe that. This, I love the way this movie looks. Um, I didn't. I yeah. And like the more I think about it, like I get that it's going for like a clean re retro, but more modern clean thing, and it and it kind of mm. like made it look like you get what you're saying about like it almost looks like they're on a green screen sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, because of like how like it kind of looks surreal, like the background uh, and the and the foreground. Yeah, it's such a unique look, and I, I it's uh, I feel like this pushed black and white to a new level of like high detail, clean clarity. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It kind of reminded me though of like movies, like HD, like maybe movies from the late two thousands or early twenty tens that were trying to do something black and white, like for like a like a like a flashback or something and mm -hmm. um i think that's why I, I didn't like it uh i can't think of an example but i feel like i've seen it before um but i didn't hate it it's not like it, it, that isn't what made me give it any less of a score i don't think but i didn't think i loved it um let's score this mother all right uh you i went first on the last one you go first on the um, I'm going to give it a three. Oh, interesting. I've debated between three and a half and a three, but I think I'm staying, landed on a three. Yeah. I thought you were going to do three and a half. I'm at a four solely on performances or I, I really just love the cast in this movie. I could listen to them all talk to each other for hours. 
Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think I'd get mad about a four. Any higher than that, I might fight you. But uh, no, that's what I was saying. Like, I, I like this. I came away liking this more than Citizen Kane, just be, just because of the performances. Yeah, I mean, you, you did put movie. them pretty close together. You did put them pretty close together. <clears throat> yeah. Four and a half and four, but uh, but well, you know. <sighs> I liked it. I don't know. I, I would rewatch this. I people would, liked uh, it. I think. I think other people gave Mank a four. Um, I think I've I've seen fours out there in the wild, um, but uh, it wasn't a four for me. I, I yeah, like I said, I debated between three and a half, which isn't very far from you, but mm-hmm. I think I've ultimately landed on on a three, which is for me a three is still a um a, a good like fine to good movie, more than mm-hmm. watchable. Um, but uh, but all right. I think we're ready to wrap it up um, next week. Um, so I looked and we didn't have anything for next week. So we could do, so I did, there's a new Joaquin Phoenix movie coming out called come on, come on. And it's an A24 film, which that's, I don't want to do it just because of that. But uh, I saw that it is the same director of a movie that I love. And it's probably one of my favorite A24 films which is 20th Century Women. Have you ever seen... You haven't seen 20th Century Women, right? Mm-mm. Would you be interested in doing this then? Uh, Yeah, I'd be down with this. Okay. Yeah. Um. um and then after that, we we have our new, new movie extravaganza. Next week is House of Gucci, Last Duel. Then we got Red Rocket, Florida Project. And then the they're closing out the year with uh the matrix series the entire matrix series oh that'll be fun yeah that would be i feel like it'd be a fun way to to end the year and celebrate um but oh, i uh, saw pictures of this come on come on trailer or uh, for, of like the the cover of them with walking phoenix with the kid i don't know what yes. it's about but i uh I, I don't know what it's about really either um it's not getting a ton of hype um but uh it could i I don't know if it's going to be with with indie films you never know like it's either going to be a movie that doesn't really get a lot of fanfare and kind of just comes and goes and you might Mm. see some reviewers uh, indie reviewers talk about it or it's like a lottery ticket where people like it and it goes viral and then everyone's talking about you know come on come on like yeah. Indie movies come have on, a more everyone has a indie movies kind of can have a slower uh grow um mm-hmm. you know beyond especially beyond the theater um once they get on yeah. streaming and whatnot. But yeah, the director is pressure to make the money back. Yeah, that's true. Um the director is Mike Mills uh is the name. So I'm excited 20th Century Women uh I watched after not that long after Mom passed. Uh I think me and Riss have watched it a couple times now. Um uh, yeah, I've seen it, I think, three-ish times. I think I've, I've wanted you to watch it before. Uh, it's I don't I think it might be one of those films that has it resonates with me emotionally uh, um, on a high level that might, like, color my... Or, like, might uh, may, uh, make me overvalue it, but uh, it's a really good, good flick. It's about... It's about... It's a feminist movie, but it's about more than that it's more like a, a coming of age kind of thing which kind of mm. is what gives me the come on come on kind of gives me a little bit of coming of age vibes uh, it's also in black and white i know you'll yeah that. Uh, um it'd be excited to contrast a big budget bigger budget david fincher black and white versus uh this a24 mills black and white 8.3 million budget uh, black and white 
the I'm curious what the budget of Mank was because it's not a big movie. No, like, it is fairly like, small contained. I um, just was looking at it. Twenty five million. Oh, that's not. Yeah, that's not bad. That's double though of the movie we're gonna watch. Uh, this period piece makes things more expensive. Yeah, that's um, true. But uh, but all right, all right, y'all. Let's wrap it up. I'd like to thank y'all for watching, be- watching and listening to Best Boys. We'll be back next week. Um, you can find us on all the things, and uh, make sure you give us a like, a review, or any of that stuff because it really helps us out and get our name out there in the streets. And uh, yeah, make sure you tune in next time. Catch us in the streets. Bye. Citizen Day is here to buy your newspapers.